Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. At City View, we're about Christ, community, and commission. This Sunday, we're starting a series through the book of James. It's a blunt, practical letter and has a lot to say about community. So we'll call the series Practical Faith Together. Let's start with James 1, 1 through 12. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, God has many ways of working on us and working with us because our goal in life is to grow towards Christian maturity, to be more like Christ in the way we think, act, and speak. And there are a lot of ways that are kind of fun to do that. Singing is a lot of fun, uh, being with other people in a small group, uh, reading his word, talking about Jesus. Those are all great, but today we're going to talk about our least favorite uh, way of growing in Christ-likeness, and that is suffering and hardships. You can turn to the book of James if you like. James is towards the end of the uh, New Testament. James is actually one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. It was, may have been written as soon as a decade or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's very early. It's one of the first books that the church of Jesus Christ would have received. It's what is called a universal epistle or a universal letter because it was sent kind of It was like a global email as opposed to a specific person or to a specific church. Starts like this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersions, greetings. James, who was he? James was the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's very significant in the way this thing starts off because it starts off, James, a servant. And the word that's used for servant is actually stronger than someone who is like paid as a butler. It's between a servant and a slave. James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have brothers, and I can't imagine ever referring to myself or wanting to refer myself as a servant of my brother. I want to be the king of my brother. I want to dominate my brothers. We still have contests about anything, whether it's ping pong, basketball, whatever, and we all want to win and be the victor. And here James calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. James and Jesus' other brothers used to mock Jesus. You can see that in the Gospels. You know, they tell the crowds, look, he's just kind of a religious dude who's a little bit carried away with things. But something flipped. A switch flipped, and James became a servant of Jesus Christ. And that switch was the resurrection. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that specifically Jesus came to James. Can you imagine what that must have been like? James, who's thinking his brother is kind of a religious, you know, fanatic, and then sees him crucified, and then he comes back from the dead. That changed everything. James went from being someone who mocked Jesus to someone who said, I'll do whatever he wants. I am his servant. That's James. James became, very quickly became a leader in the early church. And he was nicknamed Camel Knees, which is pretty cool because he was called Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. If any of us get a nickname, that's a great one to have. 
That's what James was known like. He was someone who was against Christ, made fun of him, followed him, served him, and became a leader in the church and a faithful prayer warrior. If you'd have seen James in his teens and early 20s, he would have been the last guy you would have expected to be a spiritual leader. But God works in great ways, and God can flip that switch at any time, and he did it with James. James ended up being martyred in 62 AD. So roughly 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, James was so committed to following him that he was willing to be executed for Jesus, his brother. James is an unsung hero, and we can learn a lot from him. James is kind of a very direct, straight-shooter, get-to-the-point kind of guy. There's no flowery language uh, in his uh, letter that he wrote to the Christians. He gets straight to the point. He's a straight-shooter. And so we're calling this series Practical Faith. But, you know, James, the book of James, is really all about relationships and how we need to interact with one another, about community. And so we're calling this series Practical Faith Together. Now, before we can get into life together, the first chapter is a self-check. And we're going to take a few weeks to look at this self-check. What are some things we can learn from it and grow in? Again, the least popular way for us to grow in Christ is through suffering and hardships. And listen to how James starts. After he does his greeting, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If I was going to start an organization or an enterprise or a team, I wouldn't say, hey guys, suffering is awesome. Just count it all you know, fun when you're in it. But in a sense, that's what James does right here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. Now, that's why I think it's very significant that this is one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. Because you think about this. The people that were following Jesus Christ followed him because they were convinced that he rose from the dead. And when you have a leader who rose from the dead, you're part of a really cool movement. If Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming back as king, how many of the people were thinking, he's going to come back in our lifetime? This is going to be awesome. But then as time wore on, different hardships come in and trials. And I imagine by this time, maybe 10 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, many Christians are scratching their heads going, life didn't all of a sudden get easier for us. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but we still are experiencing hard times. Why is that? And I think God knows what they were thinking. God understands us. And so he, needs to, he knows they need to address this right away. Many people will say, you know, I want to just wander away from the faith because I thought Jesus was going to make my life better here and now. But when life got hard, when Christians were getting persecuted, they need to know that God still got them, and he has a purpose and a plan. 
Suffering is a very effective tool that God can use to grow us. Hardship is never fun. But when we go through difficult times, we need to recalibrate our thinking to see that God can use hardship as an opportunity to grow us in maturity, to give us wisdom, and to give us perspective. God can use hardship for great things. But so often, we get wrapped around the axle about the actual events, the actual hardships, and we think, that's it. And God is saying, I want you to see through them because I've got much more in store for you. Count it all joy, my brothers. You see, when life is hard, when hard things happen, we often want to blame God. God, if you're in control and if you're so great, why are you letting this happen? It's understandable. We all do it. And sometimes people will even want to leave the faith because it's just not right that these hard things are happening. How can God be so good when this is happening to me? To avoid this trap, we need to recalibrate our expectations. Now, trials, to be sure, and hardships aren't good in and of themselves. So you don't want to be a Pollyanna either and just say, oh, this, this is awesome. Everything is cool and awesome. Because that is not the case. Trials and hardships can be really hard. And they come in varying degrees. But God can use them for good. God never says that everything is good, but he can use everything for good. And that's what he's going to do. We need to have that perspective. Consider it all joy when you experience these trials. Now, it's important you understand there's a couple words that are going to show up in the first chapter of James as we go through it. Trials are things that happen to us from the outside. It's external things that happen that cause us pain. It could be a physical ailment, could be relational, could be financial, could be work situation, could be a number of different things. But they are situations, circumstances that happen to us. The other word we'll see used is temptations. And temptations in the context that is used in this first chapter, we're going to talk about this more next week, are things that are inside us that lead us away from God. Today we're talking about trials, things that come on the outside. And they serve a purpose, and that's to test our stamina. You see, hardships and trials that happen to us can be tools in God's hand to chisel the likeness of Jesus Christ into us. And again, the readers of this letter were beginning to experience persecution and poverty. See, all of us endure different things. And you know, there's that saying, be kind because everyone is fighting a battle. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, we need to understand people what's going on in their lives, because so often we'll see them behaving in a certain way and then we'll make assumptions about them and we'll want to tear into them and tell them all that they're doing wrong. It's kind of like, no, we have no understanding of what's really causing it. You know, if someone has a sprained ankle or a broken ankle, the symptoms look just the same, but the treatments you do are very different. For one of them, you put ice on it. For the other, you apply heat. And I can never remember which is which, so... Just hope you don't sprain or break your ankle around me because I'll probably do the wrong thing. But you apply a different treatment. Likewise, 
you might see a person acting a certain way and you might assume that they have issue X, but really underneath issue Y is what's bubbling up. And then the treatment that you would give to someone with issue X is not the same thing that you would give people with issue Y. So we need to understand that and show grace to those who are going through difficult times, who are experiencing troubles and hardships in life. Don't assume anything when we are um, encouraging people. So when our faith is tested, this testing here is not God so much testing to see if we have faith, but it is a purifying testing to make it better and stronger. It's to build up endurance and stamina in us. Hardship can foster resilience and grit and toughness in it. We all would love life to be on the easy street. But when life is easy street, that's not good in the long run for any of us. We see it in minor ways, how troubles and hardships can strengthen us, toughen us, give us resilience. And that's a good thing. Think of it like a workout. A good workout will leave you sore tomorrow. Maybe another day or two. But you will be healthier in the long run. And that's a good thing. I remember one season we were coaching uh, soccer. I was coaching with a buddy of mine, and uh, our team was doing great for usually about the first three quarters of the game. And then it's just like they ran out of gas. And we were noticing this very disturbing trend of we were winning, and then we would end up either tying the game or losing the game. And the issue was our team needed stamina. So we thought of all kinds of great torture. I mean, exercise devices to bring out to these practices. So we'd bring, we decided that what our kids needed was strength and stamina. So we'd bring out the ladders. We'd have them do different running and sprinting and, and strength exercises. And the amazing thing is it changed our fortunes to top of the table. That was the difference. And we heard a lot of whining and complaining when we did this strength and speed training with our kids. But by the end of the season, things were starting to turn around. The next season... They dominated because they had strength and resilience. And God uses trials just the same way that we as coaches use strength and agility training with our kids. They didn't particularly enjoy it. Can't we just play soccer? That's what we're here for. No. You need to get stronger. You need to get faster. And you need better endurance. And God knows what we all need to give us better strength, better endurance, better stamina, and he allows things to come into our lives. The goal of our life is Christian maturity. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, it says this, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word that's used for mature is exactly the same word that's used in, chapter, uh, in James chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says that you may be perfect and complete. That word complete is mature. So hardships are part of God's syllabus, if you will, to grow us towards Christ-likeness. So consider it joy, not so much what you're going through, but consider it joy that God will take what you're going through and work on you and through you to make you more and more like Christ. 
You know, it is a bad parenting strategy to try to protect your kid from everything that can possibly go wrong in this world. Bubble wrapping children never helps them in the long run. And God is a perfect father, and he knows that. He doesn't bubble wrap us. He allows us to experience some aches and some pains because he loves us, and he wants to grow us more and more like Christ. So we can consider it joy when hardship comes. God will never abandon us. He promises us that, and he will guide us and empower us, but we have to turn to him. Plants that grow in a greenhouse have the perfect environment. It's always warm. They get great light. And it's great in the beginning. But later on, those plants that stay in a greenhouse don't have the same strength as plants that ended up outdoors and had to endure the wind blowing against them. That strengthens them. So God allows trials in our lives to make us better and to strengthen us. And we can thank him for that. Now, trials have the odd dynamic of being the best of times and the worst of times. No one enjoys trials and hardship when we go through them. So we're honest about that. But we need God's wisdom to direct us and to guide us. And this is the great thing. God will never allow us to go through anything without giving us what we need to make it through. The passage continues in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God wants us to ask him for help, wisdom, and guidance. God is never going to look at us when we realize that we don't have what it takes to make it through a hard time. He's never going to look at us and say, loser. He's going to say, do you need wisdom? I would love to bless you with what you need. But so often we don't turn to God and ask for it. God is never going to make us feel stupid because it says here that God is generous and he loves to give and he isn't going to make fun of us. He isn't going to give us any reproach. When we need wisdom, when we don't understand what's going on, God doesn't have to give us an answer for the wise. As a matter of fact, he rarely gives us a why during the trial. So we need to ask for wisdom to navigate through waters that we couldn't figure out by ourselves. God says, Come to me for wisdom, and I will give you what you need. But when you come to me, ask in faith, and believe that I can give you what you need. It's so easy trying to have one faith in faith, one foot in faith, and one in doubt. But God says, will you trust me? Will you recognize that I am who I say I am, and that I will give you everything you need? And you may look at the circumstances you're in right now and think, there's just no way. But we need to remember that God is far, far above us. And he says, I can see the way and I'll guide you. But I want you to turn to me and trust me. 
I want you to turn to me and trust me, even when you know that you are not in control. And I'll take you, and I'll guide you. And then when you get through it, you look back and you say, wow, Lord, how did I make that? But asking God for wisdom means recognizing that he is God. When we come to God for wisdom, we're not just saying, uh, Lord, you know, I need a little bit of uh, advice here that I can take or lose. When we come to God saying, Lord, I need wisdom, I need to recognize that he is God and I am not. Well-known verses in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So often I find myself being a fool when I'm going through hard times because I'll be upset with God, I'll be trying to figure things out myself, and that never works. But God says, fear me, trust me, that's the foundation for wisdom, and I will give it to you. So when hardship comes, let's shift our question. Instead of asking God why, because he is under no obligation to give us a why, our question ought to be, Lord, what? What are you trying to teach me? What do you want to do in my life so that I'll be more and more like Christ? And God uses all kinds of things to chisel us into the image of Christ. And the things he uses for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, and me, may all be different. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There are certain things you may look at someone and you may feel, what are they complaining about that? If they had my problems, then they would really be. But God uses suffering, hardship, trials in different ways in all of our lives at different times to make us more like Christ. And he says, will you turn to me? So instead of saying, Lord, why? Pitch our thinking and say, Lord, what? What are you trying to teach me? What can I learn? Would you help help me to be sensitive to what you are doing so that I can pick up and learn? Later on in Proverbs, in chapter 3, in verse 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And I think that's significant because going through the hard times, we want to come to our own understanding. We want to figure it out. God says, you may not be able to. So why don't you turn to me in the first place? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will make straight your paths. God is the one who will guide you through this. He can give you a joy and a contentment that you don't understand and the people around you don't understand because you trust in him. So hardships and trials are really important because they build endurance into our lives. So do consider the joy that God can build endurance and stamina and grit and resilience. When hardship comes, it's a chance to say, God, I'm in over my head. I need your help. Would you give me the wisdom that I need to see it through this? God says, yes, I'll do that for you. Hardships also give us perspective. The passage continues like this, starting in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What is he saying in these verses here? Hardships here on earth can change our focus, can give us perspective. Hardships here on earth are the great equalizer. The early church, two of the big relationship issues in the early church were Jew versus Gentile, and then the other was rich versus poor. And James has a lot to say about rich versus poor, especially later on uh, in the book, and we'll get into that. But in this, he's saying rich and poor, these hardships happen to everyone. They are the great equalizer. Hardships happen to everyone. Things that are outside of our control, it doesn't matter how rich you are, if you get struck with a disease, your, your money can't help you. Whatever it is, hardships are an equalizer. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I was living in Chicago, and I had to rush back home because my dad had gone in for, um, was feeling some chest pain. Uh, that he took him into the hospital in the afternoon, and they said, uh, you're not going home tonight. We're doing open-heart surgery tomorrow. So I got on a plane overnight, came back, and I'll never forget, um, right before Dad went into the operating room, they allowed families to go down to the operating theater just outside of it, and there's three or four other people who are going into different operating rooms, and every one of them looked exactly the same with a hospital gown on, uh, with tubes in them. Some of them were sedated, others weren't. But you couldn't tell, looking at them, if they were a CEO or if they were homeless. Hardships and trials are indiscriminate. They come to all of us. They're an equalizer. It then goes on and says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's a promise that we can count on. As we shift our perspective, we need to say, okay, God, I believe this, that you reward those who follow you, and that we have an eternal reward that outweighs anything we could ever get here in this life. Think of how this passage closes. Verses 2 to verse 12. Count it all joy. And then verse 12, blessed. And blessed is much more than just happiness. It's a contentment. It's a quality of life that can't be beaten. Blessed are we who remain steadfast under trial. Whatever you are going through, Whatever you have encountered that is out of your control, that has come onto you, you're saying, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. God is saying, I want you to be blessed. I want you to endure. It will be worth it all. This world is not everything. And sometimes God allows hardships to come into our life to, to shake us because we can get so focused on things like popularity or money or stuff that the world has to offer or prestige God's saying, that's not where it's at. I need to get your attention. And if I need to get your attention to the things that really matter, I'll do it. 
And God will use hardships to wake us up so we go, whoa, I'm not in control. Wait a minute. I've been investing in all the stuff that will not last forever. God says, I want you to invest in something much better. Get your eyes on me. Blessed is the one who endures, for he has stood the test, and he'll receive the crown of life. What is that talking about? There's a lot of speculation about rewards uh, in the New Testament, and I'd say a couple things. First of all, the fact that when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, place our faith in him, our eternal destiny is sealed, and we are promised the rest of forever with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, and that's going to be unbeatable. But the weight of the evidence in the New Testament is that there are also rewards for choices we make in life. It gives the impression in Scripture that there are some who will be saved by the skin of their teeth. Yep, they'll end up uh, in heaven uh, for the rest of forever, but in not the greatest parts of heaven, but then again, how can there not be any nice parts in heaven? Uh, But it also does say that there are rewards for choices we make um, in heaven. And I don't know exactly what they'll look like. Again, there's a lot of speculation. But I think the main point in this passage is, guys, have your mind set on heaven. Have the perspective that God has got you. And when you make the choice to stand and to trust him, when it makes no sense to you, but you're going to trust him, he honors that and he rewards it. And that's a promise that is in Scripture. And that is a promise worth living our lives by. So the best advice we can have in terms of heaven and investments and rewards is to choose to say, I want to live this life so that I am storing up treasure in the world yet to come. That's the way to live. And one of the ways we do that is when we go through hardship, say, Jesus, I'm clinging onto you, and I'm going to trust you, even though it didn't make sense to me. And the amazing thing is, when we do that, God gives us peace, contentment, and blessedness. Quite often, uh, in my role as pastor, I'll work with people who are going through very difficult times. And I'll be amazed at how they're doing okay. Because God is pouring his grace out on them, and they're turning to him. Sometimes we'll look at others and we'll say, I don't see how they're making it. Well, we're not under the trial they're under. And God gives grace to us when we need it for the things we need it for. So hardship and trials are one of God's greatest tools to shape us into the image of Christ. Trials and hardships build up endurance and resilience and grit. Trials and hardships are a chance for us to ask God for wisdom and to grow wiser. Trials and hardships shift our focus towards eternal things that really matter. Trials and hardships can get our attention and draw us away from the stuff we're chasing after in this world to say, I want to live my life and align it under heaven's values. So tying this together, I think it's very significant that this is one of the first books written in the New Testament. 
when you come to faith in Christ, he doesn't say that you're not going to experience hardships in this world. Those early believers would have thought, man, this is fantastic. Jesus rose from the dead. He's coming back very soon. We're not going to have any trouble. But then life just kind of had a way of grinding them in, just as it does to us. And God wants his people to know that when the hard times happen, he's got us. You see, Jesus came to offer us life, abundant life, real hope. The devil came, comes to kill, steal, and destroy and extinguish that hope. We have a choice which voice we're going to listen to when we go through the hard times. Will you listen to the one who says, I've got you, and I'll give you everything you need to not only make it through this, but to shine through it? Or are you going to listen to the one who says, yep, God's let you down again. You've had no chance. He would love to extinguish your hope. So when trials and hardships come, what is your next step? God is a perfect father. He allows these to happen to us. And he can use them for his good purposes. So how will you respond? Maybe right now you're facing a financial challenge or maybe a health challenge or relationships aren't going the way that you wish they would. Whatever it is that you're facing, will you choose to listen to your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you know and is able to do greater things than you can imagine through this? Will you allow Him through these hardships, to make you more steadfast, to give you a resilience that you wouldn't have otherwise had? Will you allow him to give you wisdom, make you wiser than you ever would have been? And will you trust him to rearrange your perspectives so that you're investing your life in the things that will last forever? Because trials and hardships, as C.S. Lewis said, are God's megaphone to get our attention, and to shift us to do the things that he has called us to do. So when the trials and hardships come, how will we respond? We say, Lord, I trust you. And when we do that, he will give us all the grace we need so that even going through very turbulent times, we can have joy and peace and contentment. And that's a great way to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we know that you are greater than anything we will face in this world. Lord, would you give us a humble yet bold confidence in you? I pray that we would be a people who, as the hard times come, and as we turn to you, we radiate a joy that the world can't understand. And I pray that that joy would give us many opportunities to share you with those around us. Lord, you've called us to be a city on a hill here. You have called us to call others to yourself. And I pray that you would use us in this community and beyond to draw many people to you. And so, Lord, we know we live in a fallen world. And when the hard times come, may we turn to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.